You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hi everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us. It's been a busy week in terms of government corruption. The Mueller coup hearing has exposed uh, so much of what we've been concerned about in terms of the attacks on President Trump. I'll talk about that and the outrageous continued impeachment effort by the corrupted Democratic Party that's behind the illegal spying on President Trump. Uh, they have quite the chutzpah in continuing their crusade against President Trump. Also, we have filed an ethics complaint, a House ethics complaint against Alan Omar, the congresswoman from Minnesota, who looks like engaged in marriage fraud. And I'll, I think I'll begin with talking about Alan Omar because this is a story that is an important one because it tells you about the way Washington operates. Uh, the deep state, the swamp, whatever you want to call it, the liberal media establishment, they protect their own. And uh, this congressman, Alan Omar, it's been pretty clear for years, has had this issue with being married to someone who, who almost certainly was her brother and filing false tax uh, returns saying that she was married to someone else when in fact she was married to this other man who almost certainly was her brother. There are other issues about whether Alan Omar is even her real name. And uh, all of this marriage fraud uh, impacts potential IRS fraud, immigration fraud, student loan fraud, and a fraud upon the House of Representatives. And so this story has been percolating out there for several years. Uh, the conservative media has been investigating it almost exclusively. Finally, her hometown left-wing newspaper uh, did a big story on it, uh, either late last week or earlier this week, uh, raising questions about uh, this issue. And so we're not aware of any criminal investigation. We're not aware of any ethics investigation. So once again, Judicial Watch steps up and does the common sense step that everyone would expect to be done, which is to request an investigation of the House Ethics Committee. And, I, and I'm going to start off with talking about this news story that appeared in the uh, Minnesota Star, Star Tribune. And this is the question, this is the lead, this is the headline. New documents revisit questions about Representative Alan Omar's marriage history. New investigative documents released by a state agency, I'll put on my disguise here, released by a state agency have given fresh life to lingering questions about the marital history of Representative Alan Omar and whether she once married a man, possibly her own brother, to skirt immigration laws. Do I need to read anything else? Of course the House needs to be interested in this. So I've, I'm going to read to you the full complaint because you won't see it anywhere else in the media. And you can listen to it and share it and get the word out because it's going to take pressure from you, the American people, to get the House to move on this ethics process. The evidence is overwhelming that Omar may have violated the law and House rules. And of course, it's urgent that the House investigate this. Let's put it this way. 
These crimes and these possible violations of ethics rules are so serious, if the House does its job and concludes that she violated the law and committed the frauds that the evidence suggests she did, she ought to be expelled from the House of Representatives. That's right, expelled from the House of Representatives. So the way the process works on the Hill, or the ethics process, it's supposed to work, and uh, Judicial Watch was instrumental, believe it or not, in working with Nancy Pelosi's office back when she was speaker first time around to change the House ethics process to bring a little bit more of independence and accountability uh, to the way the House uh, manages its ethics uh, complaints. Uh, of course, they didn't like the fact there was more accountability, so there's been a fight about that ever since. Uh, so you file a complaint with the Office of Congressional Ethics that more or less reviews complaints and makes recommendations one way or another to the House Ethics Committee. Now the House Ethics Committee also can just take up a complaint immediately, uh, but we began, the process officially has to begun, be begun by sending a complaint to the Office of Congressional Ethics. And a former congressman, uh, Chairman Skaggs, is the leader of the House Ethics uh, Office of Congressional Ethics. And we hand-delivered the complaint the other day. Uh, the funny thing is, the Office of Congressional Ethics, their office is in Judicial Watch's office building. So we literally just have to go upstairs to the Office of Congressional Ethics and deliver the complaint. So it's easy, to, uh, it's easy for us to do. So this is our complaint. Judicial Watch is a nonprofit, nonpartisan educational foundation promoting transparency, accountability, and integrity in government and fidelity to the rule of law. We regularly monitor congressional ethics issues as part of our anti-corruption mission. This letter serves as an official complaint with the Office of Congressional Ethics. Substantial, compelling, and to date unrefuted evidence has been uncovered that Representative Alan Omar may have committed the following crimes in violation of both federal law and Minnesota state law, perjury, immigration fraud, marriage fraud, state and federal tax fraud, and federal student loan fraud. Such violations would also breach the Code of Ethics for Government Service to which all federal office holders are subject. Any person in government service should uphold the Constitution, laws, and legal regulations of the United States and all governments therein and never be a party to their evasion. Representative Omar's actions in this suspected immigration fraud, marriage fraud, perjurious statements on her Minnesota divorce filings, and falsifications on her tax returns merit your immediate attention. In the words of investigative reporter David Steinberg, who, David, who works for Powerline blog, and he and his colleagues have done the hard uh, work in investigating and getting key documents and witnesses to come forward on this. The facts describe perhaps the most extensive spree of illegal misconduct committed by a House member in American history. The evidence developed against Representative Omar was the result of a three-year-long investigation in both the United States and the United Kingdom by Mr. Steinberg and his investigative colleagues uh, Preya Samsundor, Sam Sundor, and Scott Johnson. It is supported by information gathered from public records, social media postings, genealogy, genealogy databases, computer forensic analysis. I feel like Robert Mueller here reading this. Uh, computer forensic analysis, 
unaltered digital photographs, discussions between the investigative reporters and the subjects of the investigation themselves, and information supplied by confidential sources within the Somali-American community. Documented-based reporting by Steinberg has developed the following information. Representative Alan Omar, a citizen of the United States, married her biological brother, Ahmed Nur Saeed Elmi, a citizen of the United Kingdom in 2009, presumably as part of an immigration fraud scheme. The couple legally divorced in 2017. In the course of that divorce, Ms. Omar submitted an application for an order for service uh, by alternate means to the state of Minnesota on August 2nd, 2017, and claimed, among other things, that she had been, had no contact with Ahmed Nur Saeed Ami after June 2011. She also claimed that she did not know where to find him. The evidence developed by Mr. Steinberg and his colleagues demonstrates with a high degree of certainty that Ms. O'Moore not only had contact with Mr. Elmi, but actually met up with him in London in 2015, which is supported by the photographic evidence. Ms. Omar signed the application for order for service by alternative means under penalty of perjury. The very document that Ilman Omar signed on August 2nd, 2017 bears the following notation directly above her signature. I declare under penalty of perjury that everything I have stated in this document is true and correct. Of particular importance are archived photographs taken during a widely, taken during a widely reported trip by Omar to London in 2015, posted to her own Instagram account under her nickname, Hammy, in which she poses with her husband slash presumed brother, Hamed Elmi. These photographs from 2015 are documentary evidence that in fact she met up with Mr. Elmi after June 2011 and before the date she signed the divorce documents in August of 2017, thereby calling into question the veracity of her claim that she had not seen Elmi since 2011. Ms. Representative Omar's potential crimes far exceed perjurious statements made in a Minnesota court filing, though. Her conduct may include immigration fraud because it appears she married her brother in order to assist his emigration to the United States from the United Kingdom. The same immigration fraud scheme may have aided Mr. Elmi in obtaining federally backed student loans for his attendance at North Dakota State University. Mr. Elmi and Representative Omar simultaneously attended North Dakota State University and may have derived illicit benefits predicated on the immigration fraud scheme. The State of Minnesota Campaign Finance and Public Disclosure Board has already determined that Representative Omar violated state campaign finance laws for improper use of campaign funds. She was forced to reimburse her campaign thousands of dollars. More significantly, the board discovered that the federal tax returns submitted by Representative Omar for 2014 and 2015 were filed as joint tax returns with a man who was not her husband. He was named Ahmed Hirsi while she was actually married to Ahmed Elmi. Under federal law, any person who willfully makes and subscribes any return statement or other document which contains or is verified by a written declaration is made under the penalties of perjury and which she does not believe to be true and correct to every material matter shall be guilty of a felony. And conviction and upon conviction thereof shall not shall be fined not more than a hundred thousand dollars, or imprisoned not more than three years or both, together with the cost of prosecution. Representative Omar's federal tax returns must be examined to determine whether any additional falsifications were made. 
Mr. Steinberg and his colleagues have engaged in meticulous research and reporting. Over a period of years, they have demonstrated with a high degree of probability that Omar has violated House ethics rules, federal and state laws. We call upon the Office, the office of Congressional Ethics to launch an investigation into Representative Omar's conduct immediately. And it's signed, Tom Fitton, that's me, President of Judicial Watch. This is serious. And the news is breaking, I think, as I go to report to you now that uh, her, her current marriage to Hersey is uh, on the brink of dissolving, being uh, either they're separating or getting divorced, but that's the report. I don't know if that's true or not, but the Daily Mail is reporting that right now. But what a scandal this is. And when her hometown newspaper, her liberal newspaper, she can ignore the Paroline blog, right? She can call them racist for even asking the questions, which is what she's done. Uh, but she can't ignore the establishment newspaper in her state. And, and this is the game she's playing with the establishment newspaper in her state. Sent a list of questions and a request to talk to her siblings and father. Omar declined to do so. Hersey did not reply to multiple calls, texts, and emails. Social media posts indicate Omni is in Africa. He did not respond to multiple emails. Omar's relatives could also clear the air, but they have remained silent about her marriage to Elmi. She declined to make her family available for the story. In 2016, her campaign provided the names of six siblings, but only, five, only their first names, citing their need for privacy. Elmi was not among them. In October 2018, Omar showed a Star Tribune reporter cell phone photos of family immigration papers, but would not share the actual documents. So she comes to the country. She gets married in her faith tradition in, according to this, uh, this report, in 2002 with Hersey. They break up and divorce in their faith tradition. So they weren't really legally married. They were, I guess, married. In, in, uh, I think they were married by a Christian minister. So I'm not quite sure what their faith tradition is. And in 2009, he met, she marries Elmi. Now, why, why am I asking questions about whether her name is Omar or Elmi? Because the allegation is, and, and, um, and it needs to be investigated, that uh, when her family uh, came to the United States from Kenya, she's originally from Somalia, and then they were in Kenya in a refugee uh, center there, that some of her family went to the United Kingdom under the name Elmi, and she came in with her father and some siblings under the name Omar, but her name is really Elmi. So that's why I'm asking whether her name is actually Omar. And of course, if Elmi is her biological brother, that would certainly suggest her name is actually Elmi. Uh, so this is not about Ilan Omar's socialism, her anti-Semitism, her anti-Israel fanaticism, her support for terrorist front group Council on Arab-Islamic Relations. That's a 
a front for the terror, uh, for the terror group uh, Hamas. It's not about that. You know, that's another argument, and I would be critical of her on those issues. This is about whether she broke the law and what the process is to hold her to account. Judicial Watch can't prosecute her. We're a nonprofit educational foundation. We can expose the truth. We can try to get documents indirectly. We'll be doing investigations on that. We can demand other agencies and responsible authorities do the investigations through our educational efforts. And that's what we've done with the House of Representatives. We filed the ethics complaint, and now it's up to the House to, to, to tell the American people how they're going to handle this evidence scandal. And I suggest that you figure out whether you want this to be handled or not, and share your views with your members of Congress. You can call them at 202-224-3121, uh, 202-224-3121. If you don't know who your member of Congress is, and I understand that sometimes is the case and it's not the end of the world, you can figure it out and go to, uh, by going to house.gov and you can see who your member of Congress is. And there are other ways to communicate with your members of Congress other than the switchboard number I gave you. You can call their, uh, your members' local offices in your hometown and talk to staff there, but you should communicate what your views are about Hilan Omar. Because if left to their own devices, the politicians in the House are going to do nothing. And I don't mean that just Democrats, I mean Republicans as well. This, this, this has been around, this story has been around since she's been in Congress. You know, she's not been a politician that long. I think she was elected to the state legislature um, in 2016. The story, uh, then, then she was elected to Congress in 2018. So her, her rise has been um, uh, pretty extraordinary to, to her credit. But if she broke the law to do it and covered, up that, that, and covered that up, that, that's really a, a significant fraud upon the American people uh, on the voters of her district and on the House. And is, this, is the House going to tolerate this? The Republicans didn't file this complaint. Judicial Watch did. We know how it goes. This is the way the House Ethics Committee is comprised. Typically, the committees in the House are, uh, reflect the majority-minority ratios, more or less. So in a typical committee, let's say uh, it will be 60-40, 60% Democrat, 40% Republicans. I know the numbers may be different technically, but that's, that's the way it typically works. So there's always a majority of Democrats uh, if the Democrats are running the House, and the opposite, obviously, if the Republicans run the House. But on a committee like the Ethics Committee, it's split evenly. Well, why is that? Well, that's one way to protect their own against ethics, uh, significant ethics complaints. So if no Republican wants to move forward on an ethics complaint, it won't happen. If no Democrat wants to move forward on an ethics complaint, it won't happen. And uh, how is it we get that mutually assured destruction pact to be <laughs> minimized so that something gets done here? you've got to let your members of Congress know.
there needs to be a groundswell of Americans who call their members of Congress and say, we need something done on Ilhan Omar. You know, and if you don't think there should be something done, call them too. I'm not going to get in your way of doing that. Uh, but uh, there's got to be pressure put on the Hill to do this. And I, I think it's just clearly, it's extraordinary that uh, this woman is given such a platform on all these policy issues without a discussion of this basic scandal. That, as I say, if there is uh, a House ethics process that works, and they conclude this information is valid, that she did commit the frauds that she's accused of doing, she should be expelled from Congress, in the least. There's certainly enough evidence for the Justice Department, the Department of Homeland Security, the Internal Revenue Service, who knows, what else? Would the Department of Education, do they investigate student loan fraud? I don't know. The House ethics process needs to work and she needs to be investigated. And the criminal process needs to work and she needs to be investigated. And maybe there's a state, there are state, I'm sure there are state laws at issue here still beyond the campaign finance issue that's already been adjudicated or handled. So it's once again Judicial Watch stepping into the breach, doing some basic work that Congress refuses to do, which is to get an ethics process, an ethics complaint going against Alan Omar over these widely and publicly available charges that have been unrefuted by her largely. And so now it's up to you to keep the ball rolling. So I encourage you to do that. Well, next up is the other scandal, the biggest scandal in American history, which is the spying on President Trump and the continued efforts to overturn the results of the election through harassment, illegal activity, and abuse and her, uh, of uh, President Trump and people around him. And that was the, uh, the circus of the Mueller hearing this week. And you know, I'm glad I've had a, a few days to talk, to think about this before I talk to you because uh, you, know, you watch something and you have an immediate impression and then there's a considered impression. And sometimes your immediate impression holds up after a few days of consideration. But you know, my impression was, and I, and I was warning folks on this, is that it did not matter how well Mueller performed. It was part of a play. It was part of a scheme by the Democrats to bring Mueller in as a, as, to trigger and to keep the momentum going on efforts to uh, remove the president from office. Now, I know there's been debates about whether Mueller was all there or not, and uh, whether he was competent enough even to testify, or competent in retrospect to even run an investigation. And I think those are fair questions, uh, given his demeanor. But, you know, I, I, I think you can have it both ways. I think you can suggest that he was not um, on top of his game mentally because of age or other uh, impairments but also hold him accountable because it seemed to me he knew what he was doing. Because he, knew, he studiously avoided testifying on the key, the key scandal that he's involved in or the key scandal behind the, Mueller, the whole Trump effort, the get Trump effort, which is the manufacturing 
of false allegations against then-candidate Trump and continuing against then-President uh, Trump that he was a spy and that he was a traitor. It was made up. And it was made up with the help, according to uh, Hillary's people, with Russia, intel with Russia intelligence sources. That's the dossier. Hillary Clinton, the Democratic National Committee, and the Obama FBI. And now, because of Judicial Watch's efforts, we know the State Department under Obama was involved in it too directly, concocted this dossier that included the help of, quote, Russia intelligence sources, saying that Trump was in some sort of conspiracy with the Russians. Treachery, they were accusing President Trump of. And it was all made up. So sure enough, Mueller was asked about it, and he said, outside my purview. I tell you what, it's in Judicial Watch's purview. And I hope it's in Attorney General Barr's purview and his colleague, Mr. Durham, in Connecticut, the U.S. attorney who's looking at this. But isn't that convenient? That, to me, is a man who knows exactly what he's doing, because he is, by avoiding discussing the corrupt core of his investigation, remember, no dossier, no Mueller special counsel, no FISA-gate warrants, no impeachment scheme against President Trump, no coup cabal. It all depended on that dossier fakery. It was used to justify spying on a presidential candidate by numerous federal agencies. It was used to justify spying on a president. And Mueller, who used this dossier, refused to talk about it. Refused to talk about its origins, its veracity, its validity. And the Democrats, and I tell you, and, and of course, the, if any honest evaluation by uh, fair-minded folks like me and you, of course that hearing was a disaster. Remember, the whole Mueller investigation was harassment and abuse and a fraud. It was, it was just low-rent prosecutions of crimes that typically would never be prosecuted by a federal prosecutor, let alone a special counsel. And some of the prosecutions and indictments and plea deals were corrupt. The Michael Flynn, I'm thinking Michael Flynn more specifically. Remember those raids on Roger Stone's home and Manafort's home. And then they have a 450-page document. This is the document. This is the Mueller report. And I've read it. It didn't need to be 450 pages. Could have been 20. And why was it 450 pages? Because, boy, this document looks scary. Something bad must have happened, right? Uh-uh. The, the length and the volume is designed to make you think something happened that didn't happen. But as Attorney General Barr has highlighted, 
And Mueller himself is forced to admit, even though he slyly tried to suggest otherwise, he walked back that testimony, there was no obstruction, they had no evidence that could sustain an obstruction charge against the President of the United States, and there was no collusion. And by no collusion, this is something to know in about a year plus. At least. It's longer than that now because this is now several months old, this story, this, invest this, this report. No American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh, wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. But that was outside Mueller's purview and he refused to talk about it. So this whole circus of a hearing was designed to talk about this report in a dishonest way because the report, of course, is, a, is dishonest. So you can't, if you're promoting it, you can't help but be dishonest. It's 450 pages trying to avoid and distract from its basic conclusions of no collusion and no obstruction. And, and, and you think, oh, this was a disaster for the Democrats and they're going to, no, 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 no. They all are but admitting, as we speak, that they want to impeach the president based on this fraudulent report and the idea that he obstructed justice. He did not obstruct justice. He talked about and complained about Mueller. He fired Comey. He's the president of the United States. He's allowed to talk about and fire both Mueller and Comey. I tell you, one thing this does, this, this uh, hearing does, it vindicates my approach and Judicial Watch's approach that the Mueller investigation should have never been launched and should have been shut down by the president. Now, it's pretty clear Mueller didn't know some of the details of the report, but, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. Because the whole report is abuse, his name is on it. Now we can argue whether his name should have been on it, whether Andrew Weissman should have been on it. I tell you what, Judicial Watch found something else, another Clinton connection. To the 18 angry Democrats, or whatever the phrase is, around Mueller. So his top guy, his chief of staff, is named Aaron Zelby. And it's been known generally he was another Clinton Inc. lawyer. He represented Justin Cooper, the Clinton Foundation official who helped set up the Clinton email system. We deposed him. You know what else we found out? That his attorneys who represented him in the various, in the sham FBI investigation, the Clinton emails, were paid by the Clintons. So Mr. Zelby almost certainly was paid by the Clintons And he's sitting right next to Mueller, his right-hand guy, chief of staff, I think his title was, in the, in, the, in the harassing investigation of Trump. And if it wasn't Mueller, who else would have been? It would have been Andrew Weissman, the top deputy, prosecutor-wise. Andrew Weissman, that Judicial Watch exposed, being tied to uh, this anti-Trump effort by Sally Yates, the Obama holdover. 
Andrew Weissman sent her an email when she tried to thwart lawlessly his first travel ban in the early part of his term. She got fired for that by Trump. That was great. But he sent her an email. I'm in awe of you. He goes to her election night party. That was raised too. And who was really running a show? People say, well, who was doing hiring? Well, Andrew Weissman was because Judicial Watch has the documents. We've got the documents. And we've heard it from the grapevine as well, I, at least I have, that Mueller was nowhere to be seen during this investigation. People were dealing with the special counsel. They, were, they weren't dealing with Mueller. They were dealing with his people. But it, I think if it were a, imagine if this was like a Ken Starr, Bill Clinton type of scenario. What do you think would happen if Ken Starr showed up and gave the performance Mueller would have. They would be calls to bring in every one of his deputies, ask about his competency, whether he should have been running the investigation to begin with. Rod Rosenstein would have been brought in to say, what were you doing? Were you not supervising this man that you could not see that maybe he was not physically capable or interested in, in actually supervising the investigation? What a big lie the Mueller investigation was, isn't it? Because we were told and lectured by the deep state, oh, Mr. Mueller, he's got years of respected public service. His ethics, his probity, blah, blah, blah. Oh my gosh, well, he, according to his own testimony, he didn't seem to have much to do with the way the investigation was being run. You can look at his testimony and draw your own conclusions. Don't believe me. Look at him. You can read the transcripts online if you don't have time to view five hours of politicians questioning another politician. And yes, Mueller's a politician. So what next? The Democrats are trying to impeach the president. They're harassing him with subpoenas. They've actually sent out more subpoenas or are in the process of doing it. They're going to go to court to try to get these subpoenas enforced. And fundamental to this whole process is that we're making an accusation and it's up to the president to prove himself innocent. That's what Mueller did in abusing his office by suggesting he couldn't exonerate the president. Complete abuse of authority. I tell you what, the president should sue the whole lot of them. for this abuse and victimization. He is a crime victim. He's spied upon illegally and on make matters worse. They sick a special counsel on him. The special counsel should have been investigating the spires. The, 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 uh, the, the spires, I'm making up a word. Those involved in a conspiracy to spy on him. So, the, you know, people will forget about the hearing because the media has an interest in making you forget about it. And the Democrats are going to keep on pushing the impeachment fight. Nancy Pelosi says she's against it. I'm sure there are Democrats who don't like the idea of engaging in impeachment. But they admitted it today. They said, in effect, we've been investigating, we've been conducting an impeachment investigation. 
This is an abuse of authority by the House. High crimes and misdemeanors such as bribery, treason. There's nothing that president has done or alleged to who have done that rises to that. Nothing. He did nothing wrong. Do you hear me? He did nothing wrong. There's no evidence he did nothing wrong. There's no evidence he did anything wrong. Exercising his authority as president to fire Comey, appropriate. The obstruction section of the report, and uh, you know, Democrats will focus on this. You know, it, it's it's gossip. It's White House people worrying about what the president was saying and doing, even though he had the right to say and do it. And what he was saying and doing was perfectly appropriate. And you had a bunch of nervous Nellies who were working for him, who were nervous about what he was saying and doing. None of that is a crime and none of that warrants impeachment. This is just harassment. And if Mueller were, had been doing his job, some of the members who were questioning him would have been questioned by Mueller about their collusion with the Russians and their collusion with the Democrats and the Democratic National Committee in the campaign to spy on President Trump illegally. We've got the documents showing the Obama administration was pushing classified information to their friends in the Democratic Party, at least in the Senate, Now, Congress, at least the House, isn't going to do any investigations of any of this deep state conspiracy. I don't know what Lindsey Graham's going to do or any, any Republican senators. They, they really, Lindsey Graham, he, he's a, he, uh, he hasn't really done, I think, enough, if anything, other than uh, talk about wanting to kind of put the Mueller report behind him. I don't know what that means. I mean, I, I understand what he's saying, but... You don't, put a, you don't put corruption behind you, guys. You expose it, you hold, those, you, you hold those responsible for it accountable to the degree your powers allow you to do, and you make sure it doesn't happen again. But that's the Washington way. We have the left try to destroy the Senate violently overthrow its procedures to stop Kavanaugh, nothing's done. The president is victimized. Nothing substantial has been done by Congress to vindicate him. And I hope Attorney General Barr, I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm cautiously optimistic he might do something. But as you know, we don't wait for Congress to act. We don't wait for Justice Department to act. We don't rely on the deep state controlled agencies, even if nominally they're controlled by uh, good people like Attorney General Barr, who seems every time he says something publicly on the issue, it's hard to disagree with him. In fact, he's shown some key leadership there. So I trust something big is going to happen. But we're not going to rely on it, and we're going to keep on doing our work. We have more documents coming out on James Comey next week. We have a court hearing next week on struck page materials. I'll talk about that with you on our next update. Judicial Watch has over 50 lawsuits on the deep state conspiracy against President Trump. And yes, we are the ones doing the oversight of the Mueller investigation. 
Because when you hear investigate the investigators, they don't mean investigate Mueller. We do, though. Mueller is famously saying it's not in our purview, it's not in our purview, it's not my purview to talk about this. Everything's in Judicial Watch's purview when it comes to the attack on our republic, the attack on the president. So we're going to keep on working on your behalf and with your support. Uh, some great uh, work. This is, this is the most, uh, obviously this, this scandal is, is historic. But, uh, and I, th I thank God for Judicial Watch. As an American, I thank God that we have a group like Judicial Watch, and I don't say that as president. I, I say this as best as I can, objectively speaking, as an American citizen who loves this country. And uh, we are celebrating our 25th anniversary, believe it or not, on July 29th. So this is our 25th anniversary. And we've been around during the, from, we were founded during the Clinton years. We were there investigating and trying to prosecute the Clintons as best we could. Impeachment happened with Bill Clinton, due in no, snow, snow me, due in no small measure to Judicial Watch's efforts. During the Bush administration, um, you know, the Bush administration wanted to let bygones be bygones with the Clintons. We didn't stop. And of course, we held George Bush's administration accountable to the rule of law as well. In fact, we sued the Bush administration twice as often as we sued the Clinton administration. And then the Obama administration came, and we rose to the challenge. Hundreds of lawsuits to, to, to confront the lawless socialism and corruption behind many of the Obama administration's efforts. We exposed Benghazi, the Obama IRS scandal, key details about that key details about Fast and Furious, and of course, the Clinton emails. And we haven't slowed down one bit. I think we, over the last 25 years, we've filed uh, nearly 500 lawsuits, probably 5,000 Freedom of Information Act requests. We sue states, we sue localities, we represent whistleblowers, we represent taxpayers. And uh, we've been doing it for 25 years. I've been here for 21 years. I mean, my colleagues have been here a long time as well. My colleagues on the board are Paul Orfanides and Chris Farrell. I can't do it without them. And of course, I can't do it, none of us can do this work without your support. And I look forward to another 25 years here at Judicial Watch. And um, those, I know many of you out there watching me have been supporting us since the beginning. I began here in 1998. 1998. And, uh, and I hear from donors all the time who've been around at least that long. And I, I'm, I'm proud to be able to work here. I know my colleagues are excited to come to work here every day. At least I hope they are. I know I am. And when I go out uh, and, and I do, do speeches or even when I'm out and about, people come up to me all the time and say, thank God for Judicial Watch. And it's hard to disagree with them. 
And of course, I thank God for America as well, because in no other country could you have a group like Judicial Watch. Nowhere else. So while we have this precious right to hold our government accountable, to petition our government that the Constitution recognizes, and we have these laws that allow us access to government information uh, that aren't available uh, in large measure anywhere else. Because we've done some pretty dramatic work, and we're still around. They haven't shut us down. They haven't jailed us. That would not be the case in many other countries, including Western countries. So uh, we're celebrating 25 years. We do it because of you. We do it only with your support. And I hope you continue to support our efforts over the next 25 years. Every day, it's important we work hard to protect our Constitution. Eternal vigilance is the price of freedom, and Judicial Watch is happy to do that work on behalf of you, the American people. Thank you, and have a great week, and I'll see you next time. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.